Pastor Xavier Reese reminds us that Jesus remembers all of our tears. If he knows that every sparrow falls to the ground, he knows every tear. Listen to David in Psalm 56, 8. You number my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? <laughs> I like that. He keeps in a bottle, they're written in a book. He takes notice of every tear. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Jesus wept. Two simple words that illustrate the complex nature of the humanity and deity of Jesus. Tears do mean many things, but what do the tears of Christ in John 11.35 signify? Well, today, Pastor Xavier breaks down Jesus' show of emotion in order to reveal what simple truths he communicated through his tears. Pastor Xavier begins with some background for today's study. The shortest verse in the Bible is found in the Gospel of John. The verse declares, Jesus wept. The occasion is at the funeral of Lazarus, the one whom he loved. Now, there are many different types and kinds of tears. There's tears of physical pain, tears of emotional pain, tears of sorrow, tears of regret, tears of frustration, tears of happiness, and tears of joy. The fact that Jesus was God incarnate and that he wept is no contradiction since he was fully man and altogether God at the very same time. Now the weeping of Jesus must be interpreted from within its context. Otherwise, it will become very subjective in nature in the interpretation. First of all, we must realize that Jesus was certainly not weeping for Lazarus. Or Lazarus would be better off in the bosom of the Father. But secondly, Jesus was not weeping for having missed his death, for he purposely delayed two days. And thirdly, Jesus was not weeping for himself. That's important. Therefore, as we look at the context, we have to seek to understand what he was weeping about. Let me propose to you that the weeping of Jesus was for three reasons. Number one, to reveal his humanity. Secondly, to reveal his disdain for hypocrisy. And thirdly, to reveal his grief over the results of the fall. Now, first of all, his humanity made him vulnerable like all of mankind. Jesus had feelings like any and every person. He was moved. He wept. Jesus was expressing those feelings through emotions like any other person. You laugh, I laugh, we cry. We get upset. Typical emotions. Secondly, as humanity causes man to identify with him. He was a real person born of a woman just like you and I. We can identify. Now, second reason, 
for the weeping of Jesus is that it revealed his disdain for hypocrisy. First of all, his disdain for hypocrisy is due to his deceit. The response of Jesus to the genuine weeping of Mary is in contrast to the hypocritical weeping of the Pharisees or the Jews here. Well, the only thing we see that he saw was the weeping of Mary and the weeping of the Jews. Now, he couldn't be mad at the weeping of Mary. He had to be mad at the weeping of the Jews. That was hypocritical. Because remember, they have professional mourners, right? The more you paid them, the more they wail. Real pros. And notice that he groaned in his spirit, which means to snort like a horse and connotes anger. Again, it's against the hypocrisy. You see his humanity. We can identify with him. He went through everything because it's so often that we would dare to say, well, you know, he was God. He doesn't know how I feel. Oh, no, no, he knows exactly how you feel, how I feel. Nothing escapes him. And so the weeping of Jesus revealed his disdain for hypocrisy. And thirdly, the weeping of Jesus was to reveal his grief over the results of the fall. Over the results of the fall. First of all, the fall destroyed man's fellowship with God. The death that took place in the garden immediately was spiritual death because of their disobedience. God says, the day that you eat, you shall surely die. He's talking about spiritual fellowship, being right with him. Man was separated from access to God because of that sin. Man had to confess his sin. It's called repentance, to turn around. Man had to have a basis for the forgiveness of that sin he confessed. So God sacrificed an animal and the blood covered it. But did you notice something in Genesis that man did not go seeking God to confess his sin, but that God had to pursue and call man for his confession? Man does not confess of his own will. Man is pursued by God that he may confess. That's why the word must be preached. How will it be saved if they don't hear the gospel? I want to give you this invitation. It's not merely good enough to tell them they're sinners. It's not merely good enough to tell them they can be saved, but then you must tell them how and then give them the opportunity. Some people, you don't even have to say nothing. All you have to say is, you want to accept God? And they say, yeah. So much work has been done already in their heart, but nobody has invited them. They've told them, but no one has said, would you like to accept Christ? They're ready. The ultimate death was physical death. Abel was the first one to die at the hands of his brother Cain. When God came to him, did he confess? Am I my brother's keeper? No, he doesn't confess. He tries to cover his sin. Hmm. The fifth chapter of Genesis records for us the death of every person. 
And it says, and so and so, so, so lived so many years, and he died, and he died, and he died. And the only one who didn't die was Enoch. And he walked with God, and he was not for God took him. He's a beautiful type of the rapture of the church, <laughs> who will be removed from the church, from the earth here before death, before the generation. The longest living person is 969 years, Methuselah. His name means when he dies, the end will come. So every time Methuselah coughed, got a cold or something, everybody freaked out. <laughs> but after 969 years, he died. Now, let me suggest to you that chapter 5 of Genesis, God did not record it in case of nights that we can't sleep, that we can read it and be bored to sleep. It is recorded so that you would be very aware that what God means, he says, and what he says, he means, the day that you eat, you shall surely die. There hasn't been an exception since that day. Cemeteries are the greatest testimony to God's word. He meant what he said. Jeremiah 14, 17 says, Therefore, you shall say this word to them. Let my eyes flow with tears night and day, and let them not cease, for the virgin daughter of my people has been broken with a mighty stroke with very severe blow. Oh, that we would cry for the wicked, for the people who are destroying their lives, those who are walking contrary to God. And we see even the consequence of life and sometimes even God's hand against them. Jeremiah did not stand back and say, ha, that's what you guys get. He wept. He's called the weeping prophet, even as Jesus cried and wept over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not. You kill the prophets that I send you. And so now these things are hidden from your eyes. And you shall not see me henceforth till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he gave her up. But he gave her up weeping not rejoicing. Secondly, the fall destroyed man's potential to live eternally in a physical state. These bodies very consistently and progressively are decaying and dying. We start out with smooth baby skins. <laughs> we move on into the teens with blemished skin, but firm and toned bodies. And then we grow into wrinkly, stretched out, flabby and saggy skin that drapes over our bodies. <laughs> but it's okay. When I hug my grandma, I expect to hug a nice, chubby, wrinkly, soft grandma. <laughs> we need to live in reality. These bodies will one day be put to the grave and return to the dust. Thirdly, on the fall, the fall destroyed man's fellowship with man, with God, but also with man. The fall brought about in man sin nature. The propensity to sin as a habit of life. The potential for error and imperfection. The proclivity for self-love. That's in nature. It messed up our relationship with one another. The fall brought about pride in man. Pride does not acknowledge one's faults easily, does it? 
We are so quick to say, well, you know, I wouldn't have done that if you wouldn't have done that. You know, if you wouldn't have said that, then I wouldn't have done that. We're always blaming somebody, right? Fourthly, the fall destroys man's physical world the way God created it. The fall did that. The earth inherited thorns and thistles. They're all around us. That's why I have to have gardeners. The environment after the flood was different. Not the same. The topography after the flood was different. Mountains, deep valleys, great oceans. When Noah got off the boat, he must have really blew his mind. Whoa, where's this coming? Totally different. The animals were fierce after the flood. The inhumane treatment of man by man would be incredible. And the rebellion of man against God would only increase. We only have to look to the Holocaust, to the Inquisition, to the massacres at Bosnia there with the Croatians, uh, Jews, and those mass graves. Man is vicious towards man. The weeping of Jesus revealed his grief over the results of the fall, the pain it brings, the destruction. In view of all this, the weeping of our lives must be judged then. First of all, we must be aware that God is aware of all our tears because it's so often that when we are running with high emotions, we say, Lord, you don't know. You don't care. You don't understand. Why me? And he's aware of our tears. Listen to David in Psalm 56, 8. You number my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? <laughs> I like that. He keeps in a bottle. They're written in a book. He takes notice of every tear. If he knows that every sparrow falls to the ground, he knows every tear. He knows everything. Absolutely everything. Not one tear falls to the ground. And he knows the motive and the reason behind the tear. There's many different kinds of tears. Some of our tears are due to our own foolishness and disobedience for flirting with sin, for regretting past decisions, for getting involved with the wrong crowd, for being involved with drugs or alcohol or whatever, add to the list. Things that we cannot redo or undo. Some of our tears have been for sheer joy and happiness, for being joined with loved ones we have not seen for a long time. Sometimes there's tears for reconciliation of a child or a marriage partner. Great tears. At other times, for the birth of a child, as you enter the room and you see your wife going through agony and you get a little better appreciation for her, and all of a sudden you see your son or your daughter enter the world and you just, you just cry. <laughs> you can't believe God's goodness. Hmm. At other times, for the negative results you've been waiting for regarding the cancer test, and they're negative. Oh, tears of joy. So good. At other times for memories of loved ones who are no longer with you and you think of them 
and you hear them, you see them, and you just laugh and you cry. Good tears. So important. Hmm. You see, God honors only tears that are true and genuine regarding repentance, not hypocritical ones or mere sorrow for consequences. It's very important. Listen to Jeremiah 50, verse 4. In those days and in that time, says the Lord, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together, with continual weeping. They shall come and seek the Lord their God. Genuine, sincere, and God will accept. Joel 2.12 says, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me, and with all your heart, with fastings, with weepings, and with mourning. Malachi chapter 2, verse 13 through 16 records the insincere tears as well as God's rebuke of those tears. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet... She is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make you one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garments with violence, tears. Says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal. In that passage, you have two tears. Those, those men who are crying at the altar and they've left their wives and God says, get away from me. Hypocritical. And the other ones are the tears through the violence done through that and God accepts those. What a contrast. The psalmist says this, Psalm 126.5, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Mm. Remember Peter? He wept bitterly. And because he wept bitterly over his denial of his Lord and Savior, and there were genuine sincerity behind those tears, he was restored, Matthew 26, 75. Jeremiah has been called the weeping prophet as he wept over the condition of Israel. Listen to him. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughters of my people. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place for travelers, that I might leave my people and go from them, for they are adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men. Jeremiah 9, 1 and 2. Do we weep about the wickedness of the world and those around us? We should. Now, Paul contrasted two type of repentance as godly sorrow producing repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world produces death, 2 Corinthians 6.10. Godly sorrow causes you to repent, and we're glad we don't repent that we repented. But the sorrow of the world brings forth death because you're only interested in the consequence and you're, you're, you're crying about the, the repercussions and, and you're, you're crying about the loss and you're not caring about the sin against God or the damage to the person. 
There's a difference. Listen to David. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it to you. You do not delight in burnt offerings, a sacrifice of God, or a broken spirit, or broken a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Psalm 51, 16 through 17. Broken in a contrite heart. Thirdly, God promises three things about afflictions, weeping, and tears. Don't miss them. Number one, the believer is to remember not to lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. 2 Corinthians 4, 14 to chapter 5, verse 1. Read it like that. Don't put the chapter break. It'll make all the difference in the world. So what do we do? It's very, very simple. Let all bitterness, wrath, Anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. That's what we do. Secondly, those who do not repent of their sins and are not saved will be cast into utter darkness along with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the second thing you need to understand what God says about weeping and tears. He says it in Matthew 8, 12, Matthew 22, 13, Matthew 24, 51, Matthew 25, 30. Weeping and gnashing of teeth with the hypocrite for all eternity, for those who do not repent. Then the third thing is that those who do repent from their sins and are saved will be comforted and their tears will be wiped away from their eyes. Revelation 7, 17. No more tears, no more sorrow. The weeping of our lives must be judged. Are my tears to God or are they just for me? Are they out of a sincere repentance or just for the consequence? Are they genuine or are they hypocritical? What kind of tears do you shed? God is fully aware of them. He honors those who are sincere, those who are genuine, not those that are just for self. He is able to do abundantly above all that we can ask or think. He's called the God of all comfort. He knows the frailty of our mind, our hearts, and he's there to comfort us. And so the weeping of Jesus was for, for, for those three reasons, to reveal his humanity, to reveal his disdain for hypocrisy, and to reveal his grief over the result of the fall. Hmm. I think we can draw and benefit much from these three things and not charge God foolishly. He knows. 
Pastor Xavier Reese with good comfort and encouragement that the God we serve is one who will weep with those who weep. Pastor Xavier has now concluded this message entitled, Tears Mean Many Things. And if what you've heard has posed a specific challenge in your own walk, maybe your own CD would be helpful for further personal study. You know, it includes everything you heard last time as well. In fact, there's even more content to the message than time allows us to present on the air. And having your own copy allows you to listen and make notes at your own pace. Mention today's date or the title once again, Tears Mean Many Things, and we'd be happy to pass one along to you for just $4. You can address your request to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please include the call letters of this station with your correspondence. That would be a great help to us in our efforts to monitor the effectiveness of this radio ministry. You know, when we were young, the important magic words were, please and thank you. Well, Pastor Xavier says expressing proper adoration to the Heavenly Father is important, too. Find out why on the next Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 